Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. What are the challenges faced by creative leaders in this volatile post-COVID-19 world? And what really goes on in the C-suite of an advertising agency? In episode 25 of The B-Side, I speak to Mike Spakovsky, a.k.a. Spurko, Chief Creative Officer of Saatchi & Saatchi Australia. He sits on the Saatchi & Saatchi Worldwide Creative Board and the Worldwide Toyota Creative Leadership Team. Mike's career spans 20 years in the industry, having led some of the world's top agencies in Australia. He shares his very humble beginnings growing up in Western Sydney, but with an inquisitive mind, a hard work ethic, and a desire to make a difference, he scaled the heights of the advertising industry to a eventually become the chief creative officer he is today. He chats about the challenges he's faced leading a team remotely during COVID-19. He shares his insights into the quality and purpose of the work his agency has produced during lockdown, and he provides a behind-the-scenes look into the life of a chief creative officer and what it takes to steer the creative direction of one of the world's most famous ad agency brands in Australia. If you're looking to move into a creative leadership position, I highly recommend you listen to this episode. It's a rare thing to hear such a frank and honest account of what it takes to lead a major creative agency. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Cheers. All right. We're in advertising. <laughs> we are in advertising. We know how to do everything. And we're in one of the uh, most amazing buildings I think I've <laughs> ever seen. You guys were down at the rocks. Yeah. How did that move feel, man? Because this building is crazy. Listeners, you should see it. They've got like a like a rainforest in the middle of this an building. An atrium. Yeah. I think uh, going from an iconic building at 70 George Street, um, you know, in the rocks to, to here was always, always felt like a little bit of a letdown. But coming into a highly modern, you know, super contemporary, state-of-the-art technology building uh, was was brilliant. Oh, um, and you've got some wonderful views as well. You can see, what is that thing? It's the, uh, James, 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 James Packer's Crown Casino. James, James Packer's Crown Casino. James Packer's Crown Casino. Yeah. Yeah. I always say it's almost like a, a rip-off of the Gherkin in London, <laughs> yeah. but not quite as good. <laughs> I love sort it. of forgot the top of it. Yeah, yeah. They sort of just, it's almost like a half-thought. Not a half-thought, but they got close to completion i thought nah we'll just uh, yeah. we'll stop here we'll yeah, stop here. we'll stop here it, it is look it is still beautiful i mean look the piemont i think piemont has has moved on quite substantially as a as a town in um in sydney and there's a lot of agencies here now there's a yeah, lot of creative yeah. companies that TBWA are kind of has yeah, been there for a while but yeah man. bmf's here tbwa's here you got leah burnett in the building because we're all part of the group sachi and sachi you got smaller companies like the hallway which are across the road yeah yeah mm. it's a it's a crazy um crazy building and a beautiful Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. and at the same time, it's just something like I don't think I've ever seen before yeah. in terms of this scale for an agency. You know, if agency buildings are always a little bit difficult, that old meets new kind of yeah. heritage listed cool, whereas this is just ultra slick and yeah. and and super um, architecturally very, very minimalist considered. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the textures in the building, with um, basically it's got the the concrete, the steel the glass, you know, which is what most people build homes out of these days because it's, you know, sort of has that timeless, um, that timeless minimalist kind of look. But yeah, it is a beautiful building, but the, the, I think the, um, the seven story atrium, um, in the middle of the building, 
I think makes a tremendous effect, you know, uh, and the fact that it's got living, breathing organisms in plants growing there and there's a natural uh, watering a couple of times a day, the, um, the water, the sprinklers go on. And so we have a natural effect of rain. Um, so that's quite, yeah, it's quite, it's, it's very special. If you haven't realized, I'm here with Mike Spakovsky. He is the chief creative officer of Saatchi and Saatchi. And we were banging on about the wonderful new offices of Saatchi and Saatchi and the publicist group, uh, broadly. Mike, why don't you talk to the listeners about where it all started for you? Yeah, you know, my name is Mike Spakovsky, uh, otherwise known as Spurko for short, as we like to, you know, give everyone our own little nicknames, <laughs> which I'm very happy to go by. Um, I am the chief creative officer of Saatchi and Saatchi Australia and have been so for about seven years now. Um, um, Saatchi and Saatchi is part of the publicist group, um, which is the building we're in that James um, fondly loves and has described so accurately. Um, I, look, I've been in the advertising business for just over 20 years in, in very many different agencies. Uh, so I kind of started originally uh, in design. I was a graphic designer by, by trade, I guess. And I gradually kind of moved my way up from design into mainstream advertising. But there's a much richer backstory to how all that began it just depends on how much time you have we've got all the time in the world man and i think we should start there because what i really love about your backstory and i won't talk about your life your best to do that but i love that you came from you know advertising filled with people from the eastern suburbs and the north shore you were this kid who came from the western suburbs of sydney and you had that different perspective and yeah uh you know it, it's funny that because that, that, that's a really interesting question that i think we uh get posed uh there's a lot of privileged people in business as we know you know like a lot of private schools uh have a lot of connections to a lot of businesses in general and and it's how they kind of get employed but um you know people like us we're battlers you know we come from nothing we we kind of have to work for it work a little bit harder for it i guess because we don't have that that uh, that benefit of the in the contact um i'm not saying we're better or or they're better or it, it, there's sides or anything like that i just think it just creates more of a desire and more of a fight um in you but i go way back to you know i'm a little kid from, from well not a little kid now which i was uh from the west i grew up in cabramatta and most people that have know sydney know cabramatta it's it, it was a pretty lovely place, and then it got quite roughed up as, as, a, as a town with the infiltration of heroin and drugs and all that sort of stuff, which was quite difficult to navigate around. But, you know, you really learn how to be street smart. And I think it's actually quite important, um, you know, growing up, uh, learning learning all those bits about the street. But what you learn about, more importantly, is the culture uh, and, the, and the diversity around you and adversity around you and all of that. And you start to realize kind of what life is really about, you know, just basic kind of high school, basic growing up, you know, very minimalist life, uh, you know, having the, having only what you, you need and really very rarely anything you want um, uh, was kind of the way we grew up. And, and, you know, it was all about, you know, pushing and striving for, for, for gaining some, some kind of movement in life. But I think, a big deal for me was just my parents and, and the way they taught me about the important things in life. And I think my parents used reverse psychology on me as a kid. They made me go work in factories at the age of like 15, 16, places where they worked. Uh, and although it was trying to teach me about, you know, making sure I really understood and respected work, I think what they were trying to teach me was you can do more than this. Come and see what we have to do so you don't have to do it. Try and make more of yourself out of life and in a way whilst i hated it back then i respected it later um but i also found my love for where i am today 
exactly there. And it was a job that I got at a company called um, Visiboard, which was a cardboard, yeah, Visiboard, which was a cardboard recycling uh, company uh, out at um, Warwick Farm. Warwick Farm, yeah. And in there, I I used to feed these machines. These, and I didn't know what they were, right? Because I'd never learnt anything about these machines. But I was feeding cardboard into. and it was printed cardboard. So these big packaging kind of flat packed boxes, right? Just flat kind of sheets. And they had things on there like Omo and, yeah. you know, Kellogg's cornflakes. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I got stuff, this stuff's at home. Why is it a flat pack? And I'd feed it into a machine and then it'd get die cut. It'd get stamped with this board and then it'd get die cut. And I'd have to clean up the bit that was cut off and put the other thing on a pallet. And then I'd have to scoot the pallet over to, uh, another line and on that line that cardboard then got picked up by uh, a machine and got folded and glued into a box um and i was fascinated yeah. by that and then at that point it that connected me to products and brands and i connected me to the local flemings or iga yeah, or wherever yeah, i yeah. went or even my pantry at home and it made me think it's really interesting i mean who how, how does this get made? Like, where, I've seen sort of a back end of it, but I wondered where it began. So, who did the graphics? Who did the logo? Who did the design? I had no interest or even knowledge about yeah. graphic design or um, packaging design or anything like that. But it, it was just it was inc- being inquisitive, right? And my that 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 nature of being inquisitive, I think, drove was the beginning of where I where I've come to today. But I did it in reverse. Um, so I started kind of on the factory floor, uh, in the packaging world. And then what I forced myself to learn about was, um, design and, and fundamentals of design and, you know, illustration. And that then sent me upwards into doing graphic design at college or at university. Right. Um, and, then I got into graphic reproduction, which is an industry that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And I'm not sure how much you know about graphic yeah. reproduction, but it was where it was the we pre-printing um, yeah. based. So it was a, it, it was yeah. the next yeah. layer up. It was yeah. the it was the company or the business uh, and the skill that did that basically put together artworks used you basically made from bromides, bromide yeah, bromides and, so and rubies. Yeah. So you used to do everything like by 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 hand and by eye using you know a, a, a blade of bromides and film and a light and then box, we'd, yeah, light box, yeah. and then we'd scan images in and we'd create color separations: cyan, magenta, yellow, black. You know, any special colors. Then we started kind of proofing things, and sort of then Quark Express came. Yes, and then, Quark you know, Express. Il- Il- now we're talking. Now so. we're talking, right? Yeah, as, a, yeah. as, a, as an art director yourself, right? And so then it was just a gradual um, experience up from that in picking up design, really, really embracing design, and starting to kind of help brands design logos. Could your parents have picked up on your creativity earlier on? Like you said, you've sort of you sort of fell into it, and it was this process of taking on a bit more knowledge as you progress through your career. Would your parents look back on you and say, oh, we always knew we'd be creative? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I was ever really um, creative in the sense of like from an illustration uh, drawing um, point, no. I don't think I ever was that hands-on as a kid. I mean, I used to sketch and do things like we did, but I used to kind of make things. I did a lot of making 
So a lot of bolting things together. I think I inherited that from my father, um, you know, which is probably why now even today I build, I can build cars. When I say build cars, I could build a car from scratch if I had the equipment. If I can build engines, I strip engines, rebuild. I build bikes, push bikes, um, you know, build houses. But I have no formal training. I was going to buy. We'll just talk about me buying a car. Maybe I'll just yeah. give you a bit of money. You could just, make one yeah, for I me. Make one. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could quit, I'm not sure how good it will be, but I can definitely make it. But but yeah, I mean, I think creativity comes in many forms right um, yeah, totally. but I, I, th- I think as, as I was labeled once is being a maker um, and you know I, I, but I don't I think to your question of whether my parents saw it I, I'd have to ask them I've never have it's a really interesting question maybe I should ask my mum on the weekend um, but I think they always saw that I was really inquisitive that I was always really you know into making things and breaking things and then rebuilding things repurposing things you know, for me was a big deal, which is what I try and spend a lot of time on in now. Um, you know, repurposing, um, you know, anything in life to, to kind of reuse in a way I think is always really helpful. But, um, yeah, that's sort of where it all began, uh, embryonically, uh, from a, from a young age. And, and then, like I said, I fell into the, I fell into design and, below the line because so, I came from a design packaging point of view branding and that I got into businesses that did that design companies and so forth I started my own company um, as well in design and pre-press and print management and pre-production at about 20 21 22 years old which was a really fascinating experience for me and taught me a lot um, especially working really hard long hours <laughs> which I uh, you know almost killed me but um, from there I moved into uh, below the line agencies. And sort of doing, you know, the wobblers and the standees and all that, which is kind of what I used to see when I go into these shops. And then again, further up the line, like suddenly you'd go, well, how does, you know, who creates these comms on this, on this standee that's inspiring me to want to look into it? And then that connected you to more above like uh, agencies that came up with creative and ideas and TV and radio and so forth up the line. Yeah. Cause you've worked. Some of the agencies Mark's worked at, Clemenger BBDO, Droga 5, Leo Burnett, obviously Sarchi's. You started your own company, Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay, I yeah. love the name. That's fantastic, Cassius Clay. Mark, yeah. Mark Hollis and I. Yeah, uh, yeah, Mark Hollis, that. who was um, both of our bosses yeah. at some stage. Yes, at Leo Burnett back in, yeah. Yeah, back in the yeah, day. Yeah, so it's been 20 years in the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 and years. Is there something people don't know about you, oh, Mike? so much. <laughs> Do you care to divulge? Uh, look, I think there's there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about me. Um, I think a lot of what I just mentioned, uh, a lot of people wouldn't know about me. Um, I think what pro- probably people wouldn't know about me is sort of how I've grown up. Because um, I don't think – I think we judge people too quickly based on the surface and we don't necessarily – kind of look back into um, really who they are. So I, I think uh, to your earlier point where you said um, privilege, I just think everyone assumes that if you're in a big senior role in an agency, you come from a potentially a privileged background. The difference here is I don't look like those people because obviously I'm from somewhere else. I'm not the traditional looking. Um, that when I say traditional looking, there was also a traditional looking, just like when we talk about the, the average white male, you know, uh, running companies. Now we have this real diverse industry of, you know, uh, leaders from all backgrounds, you know, backgrounds, religions, whatever. It doesn't matter. And I think, you know, I'm, my, my background, my, my heritage in Macedonian. 
Um, you know, I have people from Macedonia that send me emails <clears throat> or, you know, anything on LinkedIn where, where they're just so proud to see a fellow Macedonian, you know, doing well. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? It's, that's, it's, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah. It's, it's quite, it's quite funny. I've had people, I remember being in Cannes one year, being up on stage and I had, um, someone take a photo of me on stage picking up, um, some, some, a Cannes lion for a project and, uh, they, obviously had my name which they saw they researched very quickly and then they pinged me the photo oh really yeah live whilst yeah, i was sitting yeah. down and they were just so like it was really great i'm an aspiring creative and I've, I've i've been sent here to learn and you know seeing someone with a similar surname and similar background to me you know i can only inspire uh only inspires to me to do you know to to, to strive and shows me that mm. we can all do it so yeah. like anything right i think yeah. um you know, so so really, the, the, what people don't know about me, uh, I would say, is sort of the way I've grown up, and I think that's just a question that you need to ask. Um, but in terms of anything like personally, emotionally, I mean, that goes quite deep. There's a lot of stuff that people wouldn't know about you, but hmm. um, how much of it are you willing to share? Is the thing, isn't it? So yeah. Sometimes you got to. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like you know me. I'm very open. I'm mm-hmm. very open and very transparent about things. But I, I would just say that you know, growing up in a really tough place, in a really rough life, um, you know, always being scared and worried about you know walking out on the street, you know, during the day or night. Um, uh, uh, was 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 pretty tough, you know. And then also coming from a place where we didn't really have very much, and uh, um, you know, just trying to uh, uh, you know get by with what you have. I, in a way, it was there was no there was no inspiration, mm-hmm. you know. So and, and funny thing is that you when you come from a place of very very much the basics, you you sort of struggle for inspiration and you struggle mm-hmm. for that positive. Mm-hmm positive kind of uh, what we have now is access to so much to, to so much you know from when the internet was was born to having access to the west rest of the world to, to being able to see things it, it, there's a lot more inspiration and and accessibility for us all to 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 look into and be inspired by when you come from the basics and you don't have any of that you don't have any books or any anyone around you that does something of quite significance so everyone where we grew up did the same thing they all worked for the same company the same factory for the waterboard for you know whatever and it was that was that was perceived as um being great and making, it was for them it, it yeah, was for, yeah. it was there's nothing wrong with that it's a perfect hmm. job isn't it i'm not going to sit there and say but it's not inspirational yeah it wasn't inspiring for a kid who had this yeah. burning curiosity and yeah. it feels as though that's what sort of drove you out of yeah that predicament really yeah in, in towards a career and where you are now yeah well you can do yeah. anything's possible right well that is know? the sachi and sachi nothing um, is impossible nothing is impossible yeah, exactly sorry. <laughs> but it's but it's true it is true yeah. like i think any anyone anyone can do anything if given the opportunity as long as you've got the inspiration you can make it yeah. but you need the inspiration you need you need to have that thing in front of you that says i want to try and be well, like it's got to be this. achievable right yeah. you have to know that it's, it's like the macedonian <clears throat> kid who went to Cannes and yeah, saw exactly. that you were there like you're acting as this yeah this it's evidence that these things can happen well it's a great story right i think when you when you look around us we're we're constantly inspired by that there's nothing better than um 
you know, I, I love it now, like even with my daughter, where I encourage my daughter to, to, to watch, you know, like the, I was watching a documentary on Michelle Obama the other day and my wife and I were sitting there and we were fascinated by just how incredible she was. And she yeah. was doing the launch of a book. There's a doco right now on um, Netflix. And I don't really know very much about her except she's incredible, right? And, and obviously she is. But I didn't realize how incredible she is. And at one point during this um, doco, my wife said to me, we should go get Nina, my nine-year-old daughter, to come here and watch this because it's so inspirational. Because yeah. there's just something – sometimes there's a little trigger that you can watch uh, someone speak or someone doing something and that one little moment is the thing that sends you off on a trajectory that is unstoppable, right? Um, so I do think, you know, as we said, um, anything um, or anyone – that can trigger that inspiration. Uh, that can offer that inspiration is always going to is always going to help. Mm. Who have been some of your biggest influences? Would you say? Oh God, there's so many, <laughs> and you know, like all the times uh, and places. Or- yeah, I think yeah, it's tricky because you go back because of again the way that I grew up, not having access to that that much stuff. Um, it was more what was accessible to me at the time. But when I, I remember when I kind of got in the industry, I used to love looking at award annuals. Yeah. That's all yeah, we had then, yeah, right? Yeah. You didn't have the access to, you know, get online and search for whatever you wanted. We had, we had, and whatever you, you had to have a library. So if whoever, wherever you were working, if that agency had like a DNA D annual. You'd be sick. Yeah. An award annual or New York festivals annual or whatever they were, right? You were set because what you did is you had, you could just flick through these books. And you, you, the thing is back then you would remember people by name, you know, whereas now you kind of go, Oh, that tide campaign. Yes. Whereas previously you'd go, you know, Oh, Hegarty did that or David Droga did that or, you know, whoever, right? And Keo wrote that. Um, but, you know, now we're a bit more like, oh, it's the brand, it's the agency rather than the individual. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I remember David Drugger was a big name and, mm. you know, I know he's a kind of expected name to drop him, but he was. He was, he was this very young um, creative guy from, from Sydney who smashed the ward school. He was running a, a, an agency at a very young, young age. age. Yeah, that's right, he, yeah. he was doing work that was really standout, um, and controversial, uh, edgy. You know, he ended up, I think, going to place uh, like Singapore and becoming one of the world's youngest ECTs. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think he was like 20, 21. Super young. I probably got that wrong. He could have been, it must have been more than 20. Um, it wouldn't have been 19, <clears throat> but you know, he was just doing work that was amazing. And I think the likes of that you got, you've obviously got the traditional, like all of the, like a lot of B, BBH was a big name for me when I was growing up. Like, you know, a lot of the English, the, the, the English agencies were really with the Levi's yeah, campaigns all and all, of, I mean, all amazing that tango stuff, work tango that they were yeah. doing. Um, yeah, and so you you kind some of would argue that it would, like that's some of the best advertising ever. I mean, still, a, yeah, yeah. I mean, it holds can, to this day. You can it? remember, just, I still reference um, some of the most like I've got a body a, a, a reference um, kind of pack that I have, and it's got you know Guinness surfer ads, Tango, Tango, Black Current Tango ads, or just the, the old Tango ads, the Levi's ads, um, you know, all that stuff. And I think I think a lot of it for me was was essentially, if you look back, a lot of the founders of these big, amazing that became independents. You know, mm-hmm. like Goodby, yeah. You know, the BBH gang, um, 
you know, and then even the White and Kennedy as we got a bit later on, Crispin Porter, again, just Alex Bogusky and, in the, and, the, and the guys, like, they were fascinating. Then Jerry Graff, you know, being super edgy. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah. for me, comedy was always I, – I don't think I was ever a – comedy right i'm not a comedy writer that's for sure I, I love comedy and you know comedy is probably one of the most difficult things to to to, to write oh, for sure um yeah. uh, so but i was always fascinated with just some of those amazing ads they they did that were just they were so dry and so witty and so simple and it, it just it took this, this incredible level of restraint yes yes to, and you always think funny is funny is about being loud is about being you know but it's not it's restraint it's just being really simple and really minimalist like a lot of those um skittles yeah, oh, that would be stupid. You know, I mean, we used to watch those uh, at work all day. It's like a beard is feeding you a skittle. I yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah. Just the, you know, you got a skittles leak, and you kind of fix leak, it with yeah. a mini U by, yeah. by bolting, bolting a, a bar to a ceiling, <laughs> and the little mini U just eats the skittles leak, which is genius. Or the sheep, you know, the, the skittles sheep. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Those ads were fantastic. You don't see many ads like that anymore. I'm not getting all nostalgic or anything, but <laughs> it's kind of true. The craziness, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, a thing is, it's just you kind of look at those ads now and. They almost seem like easy to buy. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Because they're yeah. so simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're, they're, they're hard to buy. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of um, what you're currently working on, what, what are you, um, what's keeping you busy now at Sarge's? Look, we're working, we're working on a lot of amazing projects. Um, and, you know, a lot, a lot of these things, a lot of the, I think the big ideas always take a while. Um, you know, we just did Donation Dollar, which, yeah, yeah, a, which was a, fantastic. a great yeah. success. Um, you know, Talk us so. through that one a little bit because I know that that was a, an initiative that was um, instigated by the – was it the Australian government? Yes. And the Royal Mint? Yeah, the Royal Australian And Mint. the idea being that you – it's a reminder, it's an awareness piece to drive donations essentially by reminding people that each dollar you give – yeah. Essentially, you know, the, the, the real brilliance in, in that idea is it's, it's simplicity. It's simplicity of taking an everyday form of payment and, and essentially just turning it into a call to action. Uh, and a call to action to just, you know, remind people that, um, to give money. Cause I mean, obviously as, as innovation, you know, and, and a lot of these new technologies sort of take away form of payment, um, you know, pay like that as we, now we're constantly paying with our phones, but a lot of us, a lot of us actually still use cash. Like I think we're caught in a bubble when you go, when you go 30 kilometers out of, uh, out of, out of the city, there's a lot of cash being spent yeah. at, at yeah. in stores. And essentially a lot of the people are, that need the money are there. And this is in all states. <clears throat> so, but, but the reality of, of something like donation dollar, it's, it's very, very simple. Um, you know, the idea was, was generated many, many years ago by the team and it essentially took us about three years to make wow, it. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of, um, that's the sort of time it takes to make something like mm. that. But the, when it was presented to the Royal Australian Mint, you know, especially for, for, for a, a business and an entity that is all about, cash you know physical currency and you know the fact that more and more people are you not using currency but in their from their point of view it's it's, it's important that we continue to use currency um it's uh it was a really big big and bold and audacious idea for them but but the donation aspect was really important because we're the people that are suffering the most because of a cashless society are those people and organizations that need those coins in those boxes uh you know it's kind of like you know the Salvation Army. Whenever we were in a pub, the Salvos would come by with their little box, yeah, and yeah, everyone would yeah, dig in their pockets yeah, and give them cash. Yeah. Suddenly, they're walking around 
and we want to give, but we're like, I'm really sorry, I don't have any cash. And that mass had major impact on their business. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously, yes, it's easy to say they can carry away a little pay wave thing, but well, yes, it's easy, but it's not. Um, so that's kind of really the core of that idea. And it's an ongoing idea that is, is, will continue to, to continue to kind of be in place for, for years and years to come because those coins, yeah. they're, they're there they're to last. circulation now. Yeah, they? yeah. 25 million coins. Yeah. Some of the other clients you've got, uh, include obviously Toyota. You've yes. got a Toyota account. You've done years and years worth of fantastic work. Yeah. I've I've referenced some of the ads that you guys have produced quite a bit on the podcast. Um, are you doing anything uh, you can speak about on the Toyota account? Toyota, well, look, I mean, Toyota is a, a, an incredible business because it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, we talked about uh, uh, earlier about you know the sales of vehicles in Australia and how they're going. It was really the, interesting going through the roof. Yeah, I haven't read anything on that, but you, you yeah, I mean, look, do you to, want to share? Yeah, what, what Toyota, Toyota's on? had the Toyota's had their best sale sales ever, which yeah. is quite kind of an odds. But it makes total sense when you were talking about it. it yeah, because people aren't traveling, right? So people aren't traveling. I think you know. Look at the pandemic. And well, they what, are, but they're doing yeah, it locally. Yeah, the <laughs> pandemic has 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 actually done a lot for business. I think if you look at the Australian economy, was we you'd think that we'd be in worse shape than than we are, but we're actually we're in really good shape because we're a lot of us have you know those for those that lost. I think I think for every ten jobs that got lost, eight people have got reemployed. Um, so yes, there still are people that are unemployed and and impacted by um, you know COVID. But it, we're, we're really kind of in a positive place. But when it comes to vehicles, the interesting part is is Toyota's um, sales are through the roof. And I mean, obviously, for, for lots of reasons, they make a great product um, and they're reliable. There's an incredible trust uh, affinity there with the brand and over decades of building. But the shift there is the fact that people know they can't travel now and they won't be going overseas, has actually forced them to kind of shift their kind of focus elsewhere, which is travel locally, which I think is brilliant, not only for, you know, brands like Toyota, but, you know, tourism businesses and all these, all these companies around Australia. So I think in a way what, what's, if there's anything positive that's come out of this pandemic, if you can even say that, is um, just reminding Australians just how amazing Australia is. Yeah. Like, you know, I know you, like me, as kids – because travel wasn't as accessible for us. Flying no. on a plane, I mean, you, know, you heard of my backstory. There was no way I could afford, my parents could afford putting me on a plane to go to Bali. Now we're going to Bali every 15 minutes. Whereas, you know, previously we couldn't, no one could, it was, it was a privilege to fly. You needed, you needed to be wealthy or, or have money. Um, and so what we did a lot of was we traveled locally. We travelled up and down the coast. Yeah, drive up to Wiseman's yeah. Ferry or the Central go to Coast Bateman's or the Bay, South Coast. Go to Coffs yeah. Harbour, drive up to the Goldie, go to Port yeah. Douglas, you know, go inland, go to Victoria. We've, yeah, you're right. We've yeah. forgotten how That's wonderful. all we ever did. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we still do it, but not the way we did it because now you're, it's actually kind of, in a way, easier for people to go, let's just jump on a, in a plane, let's get on a Jetstar or, a, you know, Virgin flight. Fly to Bali for 800 bucks, get yeah. a villa, a little box, and just stay there. And I always find it quite ironic because you fly nine hours to go sit in a villa in a box and just and do exactly leave the same thing you could you can, have done. Yeah. You, can go to, you can go up the coast here and be on a beautiful beach. Yeah, um, a much nicer beach. Yeah, much nicer. And everyone yeah. sort of goes, no, but it's cheaper to do that. Well, it's not really <laughs> cheaper because you've just, you've spent about eight grand by the time you've done it all or 10 or more. Um, but what you can do here is you can swim on the beach and it's amazing. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, but you're not in a box. So I do think you're going to see – and not not I do think actually, I retract that because 
it's people are doing it. Like I, I watch a lot of you know uh, YouTube video, YouTube channels on four wheel driving and 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 all that for lots of reasons for my job, but also because I love it personally. Um, and it's just every camping site's packed. Yeah. So like you know, if you're into camping, four wheel driving, fishing, and all that. It's really hard now to kind of get space because everyone's doing it because no one's traveling overseas. And so then people are then buying these really hardcore uh, cars like Toyota Land Cruisers, you know, Hiluxes, Prados, because they can take, you can go anywhere. Right, you can go anywhere with them. So you don't have to just go to a regular campsite. You can go to a place that no one's been to yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. And this migration of, um, uh, of, of local tourism and, and local tourists, local Aussies traveling, I think is just going to get bigger and bigger and better. So I'm hoping that is going to drive even further our economy up, but, but also just these businesses that have suffered in these communities for, I mean, in particular with the fires that happened in 2020, 2019, 2020, that are still recovering. So th- there's a little bit of positivity, I think, from that aspect. Yeah. How has COVID affected you as a chief creative officer? What impact did it have in terms of the way you work, your culture? I mean, look, I think um, probably the biggest thing for me personally was just not being able to be with people in the same space i think creativity is probably at its is not is at its best when you're in a room bouncing ideas off of each other we were talking about the nuances that we're all starting to forget about that are so important the body language the body language like you're not seeing like i think there's so I, i i do believe that you know creative cultures there's just something that and look, maybe it's the fact that we've been doing it a certain way for a really long time. I'm not going to say that I know it's because you just this is it because I I can't I I can I can't prove that. What I can prove is creativity and ideas when bounced around a room collectively can get shaped and can 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 become better um, from being in a room. Because you're able to see the emotion, you're able to feel the energy in a room, the excitement that you don't get down a barrel of a of a screen yeah. or a phone. Well, you're limiting the forms of communication. You're taking away that dimension yeah. of nuance, that physical yeah. nuance, and that almost yeah. empathic uh, ability to be able to sense how far you can push something or how much you need to pull something back. Or, exactly. Well, even know. just getting an understanding, like the passion. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I think that there's a lot to be said about passion. I think there's, there are times where clients buy ideas because they see how much we love them. Yeah, and they're taking a little yeah. leap of faith. The whole they? team from Saatchi and Saatchi walks in, you know, the head of account service, the head of planning, the head of creative, the creative teams or whoever, right? Everyone's in there and they're presenting and they're all united and they all love it. The client just feels it. They, 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 whether they're scared or comfortable, it doesn't matter. What they can feel is the energy from their partner uh, and their agency, which they respect as, as the feeling goes vice versa. Um, that to me is, is, is really important. Now, we're fortunate in the fact that we have incredible relationships with our clients. We have long-standing relationships. Toyota, 35 years. The Westpac Group, uh, which we look after, you know, the banks, the regional banks, St. George, Bank SA, Bank of Melbourne, Rams, um, you know, these are long-standing relationships. So th- we could get away with the lack of nuance because we knew each other. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. But I still think that it's, there were times where it was difficult to convey certain ideas where maybe needed a little bit of help. So maybe a little bit more reference that you'd have to share, spend a little bit more time explaining it. Um, but if I was to say, if what are the, if, if I was to kind of go, what was one of the biggest impacts? I actually think the biggest impact for me with COVID was juniors, was the young talent. You know, and not having that mentorship right there, right next to them and around them. And I really feel for anyone young, upcoming, who's learning, um, who's had to really just be locked in a room away from everyone. I believe you learn a hell of a lot without speaking, just by looking, by watching, you know, as we talked, you know, the body language and all these little things that you see in a room, the, the little conversations you hear over your shoulder, you know, walking past and seeing your boss in a room with a very senior client and there's a bit of argy-bargy going on in there. It looks like they're not happy, but then they are. And then you're wondering what happened. And it's just being inquisitive and seeing and learning from around you. And I think that's really been tricky for, for a lot of our young talent. And I, and I think that that's why coming back to work as much as possible, um, Realistically, is uh, is very important. Well, it's, it, it is. It's the hallway discussions. It's the what you'd call the water cooler conversations, yeah. and so on. The things that are directly linked to your your, your task or your job yeah. per se. But it's the, the the approach and the way you sort of tackle yeah. things and where you may problem solve. You know, I, I look at this building and I see it as like a vertical campus almost, and yeah, I can just imagine nice. as a mm. you know a young creative walking through this campus, listening in on the various conversations people are having. That'd be incredibly inspiring, incredibly yeah. inspiring. And yeah. for them to be stuck at home, you're sort of missing out mm. on this magic, you know, that yeah. is being part of the creative industries, which is we know is bloody cutthroat and it's mm. pretty daunting when. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you've landed your first gig, you're sort of winging it yeah. the whole time until you figure out. <laughs> you're winging it. You're winging it your whole career. <laughs> you know, when you're in a big space and you have access to um, so many people and talent, you know, from different backgrounds, different worlds, different experiences, it's a privilege. Like, yeah. I, I w- I, in a way, I think I wish I had this accessibility yeah. when I was young. I do think it's important for, for, for people to, to really just leverage as much as they can the, the talent around them in the flesh. Do you want to talk quickly about what your creative process was like during COVID and what it would be normally? Yeah, look, I, I think it went from a very linear um, structure. I think that most agencies have processes in place and depending on their size, I think COVID just threw a massive spanner in that. It was just basically like sticking us in a washing machine. Um, <laughs> suddenly there were, you know, and I really felt for certain people because, you know, as creatives, we are naturally, we just want to get stuff made and we want to get stuff done. When you can look over your shoulder and sort of spot the traffic person or spot a production person, uh, it, again, being able to do that, like if someone has an amazing idea or they need a reference or they can think of something, you know, they, they then turn around and get the EP or get the editor yeah. jump in or go get the head of craft or the designer to yeah. come and let's talk to them, jump. You couldn't do that. Yeah. Now you just think, I'll just call them, right? But they're busy. There's a difference. So if you're busy at home working on something, you're probably not going to answer the phone. But if you're in the office and you're busy, right, and it's just a quick one-second question, 
you just sort of jump in. And so a lot of that was lost. So what ended up processes just went out the window. Uh, and it did, I, I felt it. I had a lot of my team, uh, really crying out for, uh, please don't disrupt. I, we even, some of the creative guys, uh, started to send, have email bounces where they would create their own working times and say, could you please not? Um, I'm currently working. You can't email. You essentially can't email me. You can't even text me and don't call me. Yeah, well, because yeah. I just got to work. I've got to come up with ideas. I've got briefs. Because if you're constantly being hounded, and you know we've got so many ways in now, yeah. you've got email, and someone doesn't respond to your email within ten minutes. You're yeah, going to text, text them, yeah. and then if you text them and they don't respond, you can also tell if you've texted them and they've seen it. Unless you've turned <laughs> that setting off. Um, and so then if you've seen that they've seen your text and they haven't responded, you're a bit pissed off about that too uh, and then you call them and yeah, then yeah. they don't answer your call and if you're anything like me you assume every email's out to get you so yeah, you- <laughs> yeah 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 so it created a lot of anxiety yeah do you know yeah, like a, yeah. a lot of anxiety and i think how did it affect creative creativity it massively affected creativity i think if people turn around and say that we've made our best work during covid i i that that's a lie i think there's been some amazing ideas that have come out during covid but they were like donation dollar came out right in the middle of covid but I told you that idea was concept just three years ago. Three years ago. We yeah. were just in the making it. We launched yeah. it. So. What, what's some of your favorite COVID work? I mean, not, it doesn't have to be necessarily linked to Asachi's. But oh, what? look, yeah, I don't know. Top of my mind. Good, good question. Every brand suddenly did this whole pivot and, you know, pivot to, um, we need to let our brand, our customers know that we're here for them no matter what. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, but I also find it really strange that every brand was out there doing the, doing same, the same thing. thing and we yeah. know what kind of ads we're talking about. And I was responsible for making some of those too. And part of it, uh, we, we, we would, we would, I guess, try and convince ourselves that we don't need it. But at the same time, you go, well, if every other brand's doing it, you feel like you have to do it too. Otherwise, you're going to look insensitive, right? Um, and so I think it made a lot of sense. And, and in hindsight, you know, some of the ones that we had to do were really relevant. And necessary as a reminder because some people were genuinely out there struggling and they needed to know that they could do either put their loans on hold or, you know, get their cars looked after. Um, well, that's, you talked about relevancy and I think that's a really important thing. Um, I've had guests on where we talk about brand purpose and what role brands play. I think the general consensus is if it is relevant for that brand and the products and services you're offering, then go for it. Yeah. But I think where people get quite cynical is when, you know, a soft drink company comes out and says Mm. they're, they're adding some sort of new purpose based initiative where they don't really have the, Mm. the credibility to play in that space, you know, and that's where I think that's where it was in bad taste. And we saw some examples of that, some brands as well, which probably, you know, in hindsight, they've they've probably regretted. The businesses that genuinely came out and informed people, yes. you know, like yes. they informed them that, you know, like a bank coming out and saying to you- You can put your loan If on you've hold. lost your job, yes. you can put your bank, your Which mortgage on hold. Yeah. If you need, if you've got issues at home with your family during COVID, you can call X. If you've got a car and a car loan with Toyota or whatever, or any brand, or if you need your car serviced and you're really worried about getting out there, there's there's these brands have got real coats that can come and pick your car up from you you can leave your keys in the you know outside you know what i mean they they did all that and a lot of the time you actually forgot like a lot of people were like actually how do you get rego for your car 
Like, because your regi run out, right? But people had to get registration. They had to go get a pink slip. They had to get insurance. You can do insurance online, but you've got to get a pink slip. You've got to go see a mechanic. How do you do all that? So all that information needs to be distributed. So anything that was informative and, and as, a, as a form of support, I think was fantastic. None of it was creative. Um, it was rational and, you know, functional and that's that was necessary so that's what i mean i don't think the work that was generated from covid was actually designed by you know designed for creativity i don't think we're in that space of mind but brands that do come out during a downtime uh or a or a or a place of you know where we were that that actually entertain have been proven to succeed did you any of your clients have the discussion around going quiet i know there was it was almost like an either or thing we go out and show that we're still here we're still around with a relevant message obviously mm. or did they pull back a little bit on their I would, spends i would say majority of our clients were going all in all in yeah, yeah. all in because they uh were all about reminding um their customers that they were there uh, to not to not forget um, a lot of our um, brands uh, did incredibly well yeah. um, FMCG clients people were eating biscuits constantly <laughs> uh, and, and everything else, and everything everything else. Oh, you know, like I said about automotive uh, yeah, people yeah. were ordering vehicles and buying vehicles and servicing vehicles because that's how they got around and that's you know especially in New South Wales where we were traveling a lot in Queensland um, you know uh, finan- from a financial point of view everyone was still living and buying and banking and well, the you know, e-commerce um, take-up was something like they've never seen before, yeah. apparently. People who weren't yeah. shopping online suddenly yeah. had this opportunity or they put the necessity to do so. Absolutely. I mean, so, see, yeah. see, it's interesting there. Like I, I had a conversation recently with somebody and Audi, which is a brilliant brand, um, you know, and that's developed over many, many years in Australia, has, has become incredibly successful and, and very competitive, especially against um, the brands of Woolies that we've both worked on and, and Coles. But they had a major... A shock when COVID came in because they didn't have online shopping, yeah. so their business got hemorrhaged uh, from a financial people because you couldn't people didn't want to go out to their shopping centers. It's really fascinating, yeah. isn't it? It's a really strange thing. You think there's that age old discussion of bricks and mortar versus you know e commerce or online shopping, and yeah. you, you, it's moments like this that you really realize that the model shouldn't be an either or. It mm. shouldn't be a bricks and mortar. You should be offering your audiences opportunities to buy your products and services however. both ways. Mm. However, yeah. I think a lot of those, are, yeah, it's, but it's weird. It takes something so simple yeah. like a, a pandemic. Ikea, for example, mm. right? You go, I tried to buy some things on, from Ikea. Um, we needed some, you know, stuff for Jade, you know, so yeah. kids' furniture. i got to tell you, I, I'm buying the bookshelf, but I've got to go to aisle A yeah. for the little plastic containers that, that fit into the – and I've got to go on. Now, my, I had to buy those items separately online. Yeah, right. And when right. I picked them up, one component wasn't ready. Oh, no. I had to wait because it wasn't in store. And I'm like, I don't buy the component parts. I buy the bookshelf. Bookshelf, yeah. So I'm not going to wait another three weeks to get the plastic bits. That the, yeah. So I just yeah. found there was all these like little tension points mm. in the user journey yeah. that were uncovered due to yeah. COVID. Oh, yeah. And because yeah. a lot of these places didn't have their online offering oh, sorted out. Absolutely. Obviously, you need time to be able to yeah. do that. But, it, it, yeah. it's, the Audi one's interesting, you know. And I, I look, I, I haven't read anything about it and, and whether or not it's impacted their business but if you look at their model you know when you go into an Audi there's 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 not that many people that work there no uh, they don't have the amount of items 
they have very minimum. So they have like one or two of something as opposed to you go to Woolies and you want to buy yeah, a tomato sauce. Choice, yeah. And there's, there's like, a, there's that famous, there's that beautiful ad that BMF did for a pasta sauce. And it, it's just this, it, it's an Audi ad, but it was, um, it was a guy that walks around the corner looking to buy a, a, a pasta sauce and he's young and he's with his little son. And then time lapse happens and suddenly the kid comes around the corner, but he's like a 20, 30 year old bloke and he's still got <laughs> his brilliant. shorts pulled up really high. <laughs> and he's dad now grandfather's still looking for the pasta sauce that's how my wife thinks i shop i'm the worst i'm so indecisive but it takes it takes so long so audi's model of being so having one or two of uh specific items not having everything not having people running around and a thousand people working there you know it's there's a reason why their products are cheap so their model right is designed so their success is due to they have great products unique products that are different from everywhere else but they're also really really affordable and so but that comes because a they don't have that many people b they don't have a delivery system c they don't have an online e-commerce website and so that poor business doing brilliantly in normal times right got massively impacted and now I wonder by having to put in this new e-commerce site, which I'm sure they've got to be building, right? Um, and maybe they're not, but maybe they are. How would but they it, replicate that in-store experience, that efficiency, yeah. you know, and that that low-touch kind of mm. interaction? Like I, I just want my pasta sauce. I want it quickly, yeah. and I yeah. want it to be a really simple process, yeah. which is what I think of when I think of yeah. You just get in there, and get, get in out, there, get yeah. out. And there's no time. There's no dwell time. They don't want you in there for long. No. In fact, you got to pack your own shit and yeah. Get it out of there. Pack, so yeah, pack your own stuff and get it. Yeah. I mean, look, that, that's, that's kind of the, the part of the, it would be a shame. I think it'd be a real shame for that business to have to change too much because it's done so well the way it is and people really like that. Um, I, I just think, um, they, I'm, I'm more thinking how would they replicate that experience online? You know, it's yeah, kind, I don't know. Kind of like how does IKEA replicate their go through the, the rat maze? I don't think, I think, I think in a way, maybe a lot of the people that would just buy online will just Will, will be advocates of Audi. Yeah. I think luring, um, getting new customers in for, without the experience might be tricky. Um, but again, I think with Audi, what, what happens with Audi is it's, it, we talked about this earlier, word of mouth, I think yeah. does a lot for them. You know, I think you'll always get like Audi products are great. Their chocolate's great. I used to hear that all the time. You know, their pasta sauce yeah, is great. Yeah, their, their wine. Know? We remember yeah. like a couple of years well, ago, people we were talking about their wines and yeah. one of the wines won some kind of wine. Yeah, they got like a $4 award. wine that. Yeah. Yeah, won that's some incredible, incredible award. award. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, and that's why they 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 got a really good business model. But you don't have Audi as an account, do you? No, I don't. But yeah, if you need it, give us a call. Uh, BMF will hate us. Um, but yeah, they're, sorry, they're, BMF. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Where do we go? Where do we go from there, Mike? Yeah. Where do we go from there? <laughs> no, no, that's yeah, it's really quite interesting, yeah. actually. And I think yeah. you know you're right. It has opened up a whole Pandora's box of user so experience questions, and and yeah, um, yeah I, I sort of honestly think if you're starting a business now and you're selling something. Like you wouldn't be having conversations about bricks and mortar. You'd be saying, what's the strongest, most robust um, mm. online offering and experience mm. we can uh, yeah. provide our audiences? Why do we then need a bricks and mortar yeah. experience? And I mean, not to, I didn't think we'd be talking about retail. Because we know that the e-commerce has become such a part of our lives. I think it's simplified our lives. Uh, it, it's it, it, it's actually it, – it's a bit of a no-brainer. I think you're, you're, I think you're losing out. As a business, you'd be losing out if you don't have an e-commerce backbone. How much of your work would you say as a percentage is dedicated to more digital channels over more traditional channels? Uh, in all honesty, I think we don't look at it like that anymore. It, it, it's, it's 
now it's it, it's all one, yeah. right? I think to me, to you me, mean you don't have digital art directors, you don't have yeah, well, 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 we <laughs> digital do. copywriters, we do, digital. We do. No, we don't. No, I don't think you, you can a digital copywriter and digital art director. My point is, being, yeah, everything's essentially it, digital in some capacity. It's much like yeah. saying, like you know, when you're a digital, digital strategist, copywriter. Yeah. Like if you're saying, if you go pharmaceutical copywriter, like a medical copywriter versus a that's a bit different, right? But because you're talking about a medium, and I think a medium, you know, in terms of digital, like everything's digital. Everything's Everything digital. you do is yeah. digital. Yeah. Like it's even if you make a TV ad now, it becomes digital. You got to think about the 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 thirty second spot in a digital way because it's got to be dynamically created, right? You you make one ad now and then you you got to write it so it can be chopped up and adapted online to, to be served to so different on, yeah. Yeah. different consumers who are looking for a different thing. So the the mind, the creative mind, the copywriter mind, the art directional mind has to adapt to think how will this be consumed by the consumer? A lot of the time it's going to be online. Now, you always if you're making a TV ad, you you actually don't just think TV, you think it's got to be on TV, it's got to be in within a 30-second format. It's got to work there, but then it's got to work in these other formats. So it needs to probably work as a 2-minute film. Right, long form, or oh, I want to make it a turn it into a content series, or it's got to be in a uh, uh, you know like a a, a banner. Uh, it's got to be in a banner with no sound, um, and so it still needs to be understood. So I think we, from a as you say, like a percentage. I I would say now it's become normalised. Like everything's as one. There are certain people who specialise in you know I think user experience in digital. Things like that, but as creatives working in the space, every brief you get—it's a normal channel. It's basically like the word "integrated" from from two thousand and five, whenever that was born. Um, You know, and and agencies had a digital department and a social department and a DM department. Like, I mean, we still got a a, 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 like a social and digital department, but the the reality is that th- those same creatives and designers work on writing a very traditional TV campaign as they would you know doing a full 100% only like digital like without say like print outdoor but like again you go the, the if you're doing an outdoor billboard it's a digital outdoor. right you've actually now you're doing a banner ad like it's a banner yeah, ad yeah, right? it's yeah, the same thing yeah. so it, it's become kind of one yeah it's interesting isn't it it's almost mm. like the, uh, the the crafting of your message or the the, yeah. the creation of your message is dependent on the the experience at that particular time yeah. of the audience and yeah. how they're going to consume that message yeah. i like this term dwell times. time short form and it just, yeah. just distills it right down to its mm. real simplicity doesn't it it's yeah. just what's the dwell time yeah how much attention yeah. do we expect them to give this particular piece and let's exactly. craft our message yeah. to suit that occasion yeah you know? yeah and you and you can all i think the brilliance is when you got creatives who hack yeah who hack a platform like yeah. can yeah. hack i love some of those ideas that you've seen like in instagram where Someone can literally hack the the app and then create a create a much richer, deeper story. Story, yeah, you know, within yeah. the the stack of photos. Well, then that it's saved. With, or, yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I I love that. Which was or like a carousel. Carousel. Like the first person, yeah. and they all work together. Put and, an awesome idea in a carousel that told a much bigger story. When Facebook first came out with it, I remember the the creatives going, "Oh, what if you told a bigger story 
are using carousel, carousel and, yeah. and how come why is a carousel limited to x amount of frames why couldn't we hack it and put in more or yeah that's really you know? interesting well another question of that and that's a really good point and a bit of a segue to um you know howard gossage um did you say gossage or gossage he was a big fan of the generating earned media yeah. off the back of your big campaigns and it was almost like if you were to write the ad as a headline what would that be and how would you, that be amplified i mean look i i think um there's nothing better than every every client wants earned because yeah. it's free yeah. right yeah. you know like you pay for it media media is the, the 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 most expensive part of what we do right yeah. in advertising and for a client it's their media spend um is where it's a how it's a it, it's a media spend is what dictates the size of brand uh, and uh, and size they are um so anything that comes for free off the back of that, that's either generated through, you know, consumers taking on the idea and amplifying it themselves, um, or, uh, you know, is PR'd, it's tactical, it's designed that way. I, I'd say a lot of the earned stuff is, is just chance. You know, you're hoping that something actually really takes off. And you can only, you can never really know and prove that something's going to do really, really well in society from a, um, you know, an earned point of view. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd love someone to prove me wrong, but uh, yeah, I always think it's just it's just how well it takes off. Um, and I know we did we did something recently in, um, or not me, but our partners in in such and such in New Zealand did a really lovely Hilux campaign. I think if you saw that, and they and they basically just wrote. I think the the way they did the whole thing, it was just taking the piss, right? And they just took these really cool little Kiwi sayings, you know, like everything from "Oh yeah, she'll be right, mate" to whatever. But in but in you know in New Zealand, and they wrote them down and then strung them together as like one ad, which was pretty, uh, yeah, no one yeah, really yeah. knew that. Yeah, like when yeah. you when you if you made that ad in that way and you watched it you never realized how it was written but see that was tactically written that way because that was the idea but i don't know if anyone really realized how much people would pick that up and take it you know into society and then and you know we can find out we can call steve cochran and, and our team down there and i probably should call them but it was it was the way the headlines all came to life and then they started printing those headlines all around new zealand and then they started making t-shirts and then everyone started wanting t-shirts <laughs> and they brilliant. had pre-made then they would like set up this sort of automated t-shirt yeah. making thing online yeah. and that's sort of yeah. a lot of earned yeah. came in there now whether or not that was planned specifically like that i don't know and like i said we could find out um later on but it worked brilliantly and subsequently today just won a ton of awards, ton of you awards know? Yeah. um uh, that's the sort of stuff that makes me gets me really excited about mm-hmm. advertising when things take on that cultural we talked about word of mouth and it's mm-hmm. almost like you're you're really connecting with culture and some you can't plan for that you don't yeah. know how well things are going to resonate with people on a no. broad scale you yeah know? you can research where you want but yeah and, and that's what gets these young kids interested. That's why they'd want to get back mm. into the or get into the industry and back yeah. into the offices and yeah, yeah, yeah. jam on these sort of ideas. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. Um, it, speaking of uh, the management, I know we touched on it earlier, just around um, how you tackled COVID. You're a chief creative officer. What part of your day and what does your day look like now? I know I've known you since, you know, we were both creative directors and then mm. you moved up into the ECD realm and now you're the chief creative officer. What does that look like from a managerial perspective? I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I would imagine you're trying to create the cultural elements to be able to empower people to do their best work. So it's mm. more like you're, 
you know, you're a builder. Yeah. You've said you're a builder. You're, a maker. You're, you're yeah. build, a maker. Yeah. You're creating the right conditions to mm. do the best work and supporting yeah. people. Is that is That's that pretty much, you know, it's funny that because it's not, it's not that complicated to really explain, but I think when you get to a position uh, as a chief creative officer, and it's very different, you know, I, I hate titles because they, 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 they actually mean something different everywhere. Like a chief creative officer in, in the US is very different to how it is. In They've got some Australia. weird titles. I've yeah. never understood vice the president and vice president. And, all, yeah. and the vice president is some kid who's 24 know, and he's like. <laughs> yeah, like now, now creative director titles now are basically like a senior creative, even yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Like everyone well, remember you and I when we started, yeah. like just to get the role art director yeah. was a big deal. Yeah, totally. Look, the best way to describe my role um, – yeah, at Saatchi and Saatchi is look. I look. I look after nationally for Saatchi and Saatchi. I have, um, you know, ECD. I have an ECD in Melbourne because I'm based in Sydney. Um, I I have an ECD in in Melbourne in Simon Bagnasco, and he's fantastic. And he manages the office during the uh, manages the office down in Melbourne. My dialogue with him is day to day. But essentially, my role is to be there for support in every which way, inspire creativity, support him and. And all of the creatives in every way I can and connect, you know, like it's seeing an opportunity, you know, like I'll see a brief come through very early days because I'm, I'm at the conversation with the client level right at the beginning before the brief's even formalized. How often do you see your clients? Are you like all the, all the time? All the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. And you'd be going in with um, Anthony Gregorio. Yeah. Anthony is the CEO yeah. of Saatchi and Saatchi uh, and Mike, Michael Rebello. How much do you have to do with him? He's the CEO well, of well, Publicist. Right? I mean, Mike Rebello and I worked together as, um, you know, partners for, for about four years. He hired me into Saatchi and Saatchi, so you know, I got to see him every day. Uh, he's now a publicist group uh, CEO um, for the region here, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, he's sitting right around the corner here. Oh, really? and you can go see him right now. We can go talk to him. <laughs> I'll just he's, go he's, fanboy he's, it out with he's him. He's pretty you know, open. Just kind of your autograph. Yeah, Mike, no, Mike's fantastic. Yeah, Mike's yeah. very open. So, but in terms of my dealings with Mike, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're friends. You know, we're still mates. You know, we connect, and and whenever he needs our help on anything, you know, we we connect. But the the communication that happens because of my where I sit on, on as a CCO is is really it is at that top level. So I do I'm I'm in that um, C suite level with the decision makers, with all the big guys and girls, and um, you know it's it's top level strategy, politics, the whole lot. And then obviously when it comes to the creative aspect, that's kind of my. That's where I do my jam, right? What I love about those C-suite discussions is people assume there's some sort of magic language, mm. but the language gets so simple and so objectives-based, yeah. and it's all about how you're going to move the needle. There's no room for fluff and grandeur and no. anything else or attitudes or whatever. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I wonder if you could explain some of the, like an example of a sort of conversation that you might have with a CEO, a bit of an insider behind the scenes part of the reason it's called the B-side. Like, what are some of the discussions you might have? Oh, look, a lot of the, the – I mean, uh, I could probably couldn't repeat any of the conversations <laughs> Anthony and I have. Um, uh, just, just purely, purely, you'll have to beep everything out. No, but and, – and and I, uh, again, they're, they're all very top-level conversations. And, and everything from, hey, we have a gut feeling we've got a problem here. For example, on a client with a project that maybe is either taking too long to solve or we're going around in circles, uh, what's going on? Um, and that's where 
we start to have a chat about what do we think is the problem, uh, what do we think we need to do, and then we make a plan and we resolve it. To just discussions in general about work, like someone like Ant, you know, I believe Ant's probably one of the most awarded CEOs in Australia. Um, you know, he, he's been part of a lot of those amazing work that, that he did at Host of Us with Palau Pledge, the Arm, you know, all that stuff. How passionate is he about creative That's work? What I'm getting to, you know, like which is the the fact is, you know, the, the, even Mike Rubello, both Mike and and um, are incredibly passionate about the work. I think as a CEO, if you, if you're working in an advertising agency, this is for everyone out there. Uh, if you're working in an advertising agency and your CEO doesn't like the work, you should leave. Because um, the reality is that CEO of an advertising agency should be all about the work. Yeah, totally. just as yeah. the just, well, it's not often the case. I won't name some of the agencies. Yeah, that no, that's worked. what I mean. That's why I said get out because um, it, it 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 just says a lot about the culture because CEOs in in creative companies companies you know when they are all about the work they are all about the business because that is the business the business is the work you know the work is what defines you as a company your ideas are what define you your ideas are your um your 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 superpower you know uh look at every agency around the country i could tell you uh all the top agencies right now i can tell you all the ceos are all about the work they care about the work so the discussions at that table or wherever you are, between a CCO and a uh, CEO are about how do we get the work better. Like I might, I might drop in on a, on a day-to-day, I'll walk out of a creative meeting and I would have seen something that I thought was absolutely mind-boggling, say brilliant or, you know, wasn't quite sure and or I'm a bit concerned about something or how far we have to push something, I'll sit down with Anne. And that's where you – I think when you've got a brilliant CEO, that's where that's where you can really move forward really quickly. Yeah. You know, you get their point of view because they have the ability to fuse a few things together. They can fuse together the client and that brand and their projection of business and where they're headed, right, because they know – they also know a lot about – brands and clients that you don't that you don't need to know as a creative right you know you you just don't need to know the financial aspects of that client and some of the political could, stuff in the background that could give some things context That's whereas right. in the creative department we may be oh bloody all the client i'm trying to get this job through they just want to prove it ah. exactly whereas they've got the the, the yeah. depth of understanding because there's also there's always two sides to, there's always a few sides to a brand the, the brands have their commercial side right which is always to make the money and then you know they have their kind of marketing aspect and their goals of growth um but then there's also another side which could just be a matter of they're really struggling to kind of move the needle from a from a love point of view within the organization they've got internal problems right yeah and i'd love to pick you up on that how can you help when that's the case when you're getting internal traction Mm. how do you guys as the agency partner do you roll in and do you go in as well do you try and we all go in and you and you sort of does it require you to then educate your maybe your ECDs or your CDs on how to ensure it's not so much about the work mm. that isn't getting approved or you're not getting traction on it's how we can get the work through yeah, yeah. and that's there's an art to that I think there's there, a real well, there is you know because a lot of the time if you think about our business and what we do the worst part is failure you know, you're spending a lot of money, you know, you've got marketing directors out there who, you know, have have a budget they've got to spend, but they've got a target they've got to hit. So, uh, and, you know, with everyone's budget, budgets being crushed and, you know, reduced, it just gets even harder because their targets don't get reduced. Their targets keep going up. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. their budget keeps coming yeah. down. And we feel that. 
because that's why we then have to do everything quicker for less, right? Which is what, where we're struggling. I think where the industry is really struggling at the moment. Um, but to get, to get ideas over the line, it, it's just about being really bloody clear, really transparent. And, you know, you can have a brilliant idea on the table. Um, and whilst it seems really clear and, tra- and you've been super transparent about it, the clients are concerned. Cause they haven't seen it before. You know, you, you find a lot of work when you go on that campaign brief, right? And you see it or anywhere around the world on any kind of blog, you, you, someone will present an idea and, uh, or, or showcase an idea. And I think within the first five comments, someone's going to find a link to a piece of work. It's been done. That's been done. Yeah. The yeah. reality is it's very difficult to do something in the world that we have with however many billions of people and millions of creative people and thousands, hundreds of thousands of agencies, right, to come up with something new, just like films, right? They're stories. They come from somewhere. They redo them every now and then yeah, and do yeah. another one, right? Same sort of deal is is how do you – when a client sees a – it's really tricky, right? So imagine that you're showing a client an idea that you believe is going to be brilliant redefine their business, but it hasn't been done before. So now the client's going shit, how can I know what this is going to be like? And you go, well, you can't because there's nothing like it. So then you got to try and make them feel confident, give them the confidence that they need to, you know, feel, feel part of it. That's why I go back to what I was saying before about having when everyone is on the same page and everyone's super passionate in the room from your side and you're all united. And that's from the CEO, the CCO, the account service head, the planning head. A client looks at that and goes, they can't all be wrong, yeah. right? And I think it's just a matter of letting them know that you're all we're all professional. We do it for a living. We love what we do. We do it all the time. We do it on other brands. We've had massive success in the past. Surely we know what we're doing. So it's just a matter of conveying them. But when you can't get it over and you're really struggling, I, I do have to say that's where the CEO can play a pretty pivotal role for you. But sometimes it hurts feelings, right? Because what you do is you go around, and you got to go up and over and you know you don't want to do that and you never you don't you never really should have to do that but there are times where you might go I don't think the the head of the marketing part of whatever whoever you're dealing with has the confidence to do this we believe it's imperative to do because it'll re- redefine your business and you just have to go above or around because nothing else is working or sometimes you just give up and you go okay we'll try something else or even you get to a point where you, you you really knock yourself out with someone. You find something similar, and then you show them, and then they go, "Well, it's been done. Why would I do that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Shoot so yourself, you know, it's very it's tricky, foot, right? Yeah. But you know, like like anything, in anything in any industry where there's creativity involved, from you know building a, a wild building like that one over the road or whatever, it just takes vision, foresight, confidence. Yeah. You know, um, and the word that we use a lot is just be brave. Like, we just be brave. Like, you know what? Everyone makes mistakes, but you learn from mistakes. And sometimes mistakes need to be made in order to progress and move forward. What may be a tough loss today will be a huge gain tomorrow. Just we going back to culture for a second, you're all in the same buildings now. So you've got mm. Leo Burnett pretty much next door three neighbours. Doors, yeah, two, two, three doors four, down. Yeah. We've all worked at all of these. I haven't worked at Saatchi's before though. Yeah, yeah. How do you create the point of difference? Now, Saatchi is one of the – if you were to ask anyone about an advertising agency and tell me the first one that comes to mind, everyone's going to say Saatchi and Saatchi. hundred percent. Even your grandma. So it's yeah. arguably <laughs> the best – the best advertising brand, brand. in yeah. the world. And, yeah. you know, even though Morris and Charles no longer 
yeah, have around. anything to do with yeah. it, but I left a legacy and a, 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 a wonderful culture, um, mm. and I guess best described by impossible. Yeah, what's nothing, a, what's is a, impossible. nothing is impossible, which I think you, you've said still lives mm. and breathes. Lives and bre- we still live and breathe it yeah. through the, the the heart and mm. the foundations of what yeah. you do. How how do you think agencies can, especially in your case, which is like a little microcosm of yeah. point of difference, how do agencies create a point of difference in the market? Like for a new client, I'm a new client, mm. I'm, a, I'm a new startup, let's call it. Um, uh, bushwhackers, I'm just looking yeah. at the bushes out on the balcony. It's bushwhackers, I've got a billion dollar budget. Yeah. How do I determine which agency I go to and how much of it is that, to your mm. point, that face-to-face yeah. human aspect? It, how much is it if the attitude of the people that walk in and they're all really mm. enthusiastic? I mean, what is it and how do we, as agencies, define? Because I'm sure you're having those discussions. How, what's our point oh, of we, Look, we have them all the time. I, I'd look at, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you just come back to people. You know, and I know it might sound like a really simple answer, but it is about the people. Like you, you have a brand, a brand like Saatchi and Saatchi, as you say, it makes me proud uh, every day, actually, when I meet someone out in market. Um, you know, whether it's a cabbie or you go to a restaurant or someone asks you where you work, you know, I had a, I had a guy come over the other day to fix our, our dishwasher and, um, he was from Fisher and Paykel and he was like, Oh mate, what do you do? And I go, oh, I work in, I work in advertising. You know, I'm just working my trackies and, you know, got tats and stuff. He's all like, couldn't, couldn't pick what you do, which not, you can't do anymore, which is fantastic. Right. And, um, I go, I work in advertising. He's like, Oh yeah, where do you work? And I'm kind of, oh, I work for a company called Saatchi and Saatchi. And he goes, Oh yeah, 70 George Street, the rocks. Oh, right. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, he goes, yeah, he's always fixed the elevator there. It's a great <laughs> place. God, you guys had some fun. Um, and you're right. You know, it is probably one of the most well known brands around the world. Um, and it's probably because they're notorious and they're edgy and they had a point of view and they had balls, you know, um, as a brand and i think that legacy of of morris and charles um uh, has lived through and and i and i'm on the global creative board of sachi and sachi and i'm dealing with kate stannis who's my boss globally who's amazing uh on a monthly basis at least uh and it lives through the brand um so we have a bit of a dna i think in a way we have to a degree a little bit of an advantage where we have had a dna set up for us for 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 over 50 odd years right um but it comes back to each office is different. So each office is different and therefore each- Here's a word e- for you, glocal. Glocal. Do you, do you like that word? Glocal. I do glo- like glocal. That's a global a perspective, but locally- but a glocal, yeah. Customized a global, locally. Yeah, glocal. 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 Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a bit of a- Someone asked her, what marketing words do you hate? And there's this- I don't particularly hate this word, but it is a weird- It just makes me feel weird saying it. <laughs> glocal. Glocal. Yeah, I know. There's always some, there's always yeah, there's some a, new, new words. Sorry, it's all right. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's- uh, Yeah, so I think- I mean, like, you know, I've worked for uh, Droga 5, um, you know, uh, Leah Burnett, and- Saatchi and again the reason I mentioned Droga 5 in that is because you know the likes of David Droga used to work for Saatchi and Saatchi publicist group you know David Nobe Nobby you know who I love is a dear friend um, you know was started up Droga 5 Australia I think it was around for about eight years he was a Saatchi he had this well, we job were, for four Mike years Mike and I worked at Droga 5 together yeah, as well yeah was- but you know they're all the same because they all came from publicists uh, the group of Saatchi and publicists so we're all very similar and our DNA is quite similar um but i think every agency has its own top spin 
look at it that way, right? There's a top spin. You know, we've all got a ball, but how do we spin it? Spin it? No, I don't mean spin in terms of bullshit. How do you how do you put your top spin on it? And and I think that's what clients are, are really do look into yeah. buying, right? So you got your people, but what is your point of difference? How are you going to give me something different? What is your strategic approach? What is your attitude? Like why? I don't think it's enough for. There are certain brands out there, like you know, when an agency's hot, meaning it's doing amazing work, they don't have to pitch. They get pit, they get business given to them. And if you look at our industry, it's all about new business. It's it's like retaining, winning, and retaining what you have and servicing and doing the best work of your life on those brands. But you always got to grow, so you're always pitching. And if you're not pitching, you're kind of in trouble. Um, so what they look for in, in in new business and pitching is what's your approach. So what is it that you do that is very different? Now that is the secret sauce. Like that is something we all learn when we're at other agencies. And what happens because everyone moves around. You find that it's just we're borrowing from each other and then we're fusing things together and what BBH was doing with the black sheep and then what M&C Saatchi's doing, you know, with brutal simplicity and then BMF's doing something around long uh, – short. I can't remember what their positioning is, but there's they, they've all got really interesting positionings, right? It's it's just – and, and the funny thing is when you can retain it and keep it for decades or even forever, it's brilliant. See, nothing is impossible we've kept. That's our, that's our just do it, Nike. It's our sign-off. There's a lot more that goes in that because the thing is anyone can say nothing is impossible because nothing is impossible means that we will never give up. That's all that says. We will always fight and always strive and in terms to be of better. aligning that with your – you know values, values and, yeah. and your brand mm. behaviors and so on internally do you how, how is that sort of implemented or encouraged through the behaviors of those working here yeah you know like nothing is impossible uh, i mean what does that look like from a tangible yeah i think nothing is impossible like i said to you is is not don't don't ever rest don't rest like yeah. always try like if you don't you don't if you don't try don't give up yeah don't give up but yeah. but don't don't be let down and pushed around by something like don't don't allow the brief to be too challenging you know the problem to be too challenging surely between you and the other 80 90 100 people around you you can find a solution to it don't be afraid to go into the client with something audacious that that may scare them to begin with because that's who you are as a brand if you don't present that I don't know why they're here. Like if they, I mean, there are certain clients that front right from the beginning, you know where their bar is and you, 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 you kind of gauge that at the same time doesn't mean that you should only deliver crap, like average work. You know, we talked about this the other day, you will get fired by a client faster for doing shit work and average work than you will for pushing them and scaring them with amazing work. Right. So that to me means, just give it your all, give it your best, never rest, stop doing the same thing over and over again, um, always push, always nudge. As long as you're moving forward, you know, to me that's the nothing is impossible spirit. But, you know, we, we, we put together a book, um, like an agency book, you know, about five years ago to really help new staff when they came on board uh, in what the nothing is impossible, um, you know, spirit means for us. And it was really – and it actually is quite quite rich in terms of how deep it can yeah, go. I'd love to see that. Yeah, it talk, yeah I've got – I'll show you downstairs. Um, I've uh, – yeah, it, it's and it's again, it's an internal book, right? It's designed. We could very easily turn it into a an external book, but even the book itself was floating in oh, space, awesome. you know. So just to to deliver on the idea, it could float. Yeah. 
and spin around in midair um, just magically. Um, but that, <laughs> that's, that's what we mean, yeah. like, you know. But, it, 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 you know, I, I've, I've definitely seen that word used out of context too, seen other words like, I, I know there's no money and there's no time. Come on, Sachi, nothing is impossible. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah, See, that's yeah. out of context. Yeah, that's out of context, yeah. You know, and that, that, that's, uh, that, that frustrates me when, when, when it's used that way, even as a joke, because it's, it's kind of a, quite a serious, um, you know, a thing that we live and breathe by. But, yeah. In terms of um, creative block, how do you beat creative block? Now, I know you're not on the tools as much as you are. You used to be, sorry, but how, how, how do you overcome creative block or how do you encourage your team to overcome easy. creative block? So easy. How? Just talk. Just talk? Just talk. Yeah. You've got no Don't, problems with no, that. No problem with talking, <laughs> mate, as you can tell. Um, I think, look, creative block is there's always, there's always something that's causing a creative block. Uh, it can be personal, right? It could be the brief. There really, it really, there, re- there really isn't an insight. You know, it's so, so manufactured. Um, you kind of got no way out, but I think the best way to get around. So creative block, if I was to describe creative block for me is I've got a really good brief in with a creative team, but the work I'm getting back isn't delivering to the level of the brief or the insight that I see as a creative block in itself, because how could you not? You've already been given a brief with an incredible insight that almost feels like there's three quarters of an idea there. That's brilliant. And that's just a matter of communicating, just chatting and talking and, and, and even just dissecting it. So I think when you, if you've got a creative block, just go back to the brief and just rip it to shreds, uh, you know, like mentally and pull it apart in every possible way. So I think being able to talk, um, to those that have the creative block, being able to have um, a really rich and dynamic conversation around it will always force the change. Yeah, yeah. So just yeah. communicate. Communicate. Talk yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's just some general advice for a client like when working with an agency like Sachi and Sachi, they really want to make a difference uh, both from a you know, traditional commercial standpoint as well as a cultural standpoint like what makes a good client what would you do differently as a client right now yeah i i think what i would be thinking about if i was a client is um the fact that consumers are incredibly empowered they will become even more empowered I think will consumers will be making more and more decisions. They'll be more and more in control of who they buy from and what they consume as we move forward. And, and data is going to have a lot to do with that, their own data and how they can use their own data in positive ways. But the point of that is if you are a business out there, a multi-billion dollar organization that isn't already planning on doing good, reducing your emissions, bigger plans for less harm to the environment or less harm to society or individuals, you're not going to survive because it is an expectation. It's kind of like uh, if you look at the issues that have happened with our super funds and people that have put money into super funds and then found that their super fund company was investing money in like, you know, um, mining that was decimating kind of everything right yeah so suddenly now we're going oh well hold on a minute 
my money is with who? So now I'd question my money is with a bank and what's my bank doing with my money and so forth. So then I start thinking about if I buy this car, where's this car coming? Or, you know, and that's where the, the, the consumer, um, will just not want to participate with a brand because the brand is harming. You know, harming either, like I said, society or the environment. Yeah, I don't think people have an issue with co- commercial outcomes. I think it's just yeah. the idea that you can't have commercial outcomes and have uh, a policy of environmental responsibility. Or, exactly. You know, I think well, it's pr- been proven that there are yeah. organizations that yeah. can do both. Absolutely. But, the, but they, they kind of have to. And yeah. I think if, if you're not, that's what I mean, if you're not doing it, you're in yeah, trouble. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the, it's the entry pass, yeah. right? That's the, that's yeah. the minimum. That's the it's expectation. It, it's, it's basically like yeah. you, you will make a decision. You'll, you'll have two things in front of you. You go, mm. I'm going to either put my money here with this company or with this company. And, you, and you'll be going, so what do you mm. do mm. that's... Well, you talked about word of mouth and empowered consumers, and that is only you could you could argue that it's not so much that people are becoming far more environmentally aware; it's mm. people are just becoming far more informed. Informed, yeah. You know, exactly. And as long as you're a good person, yeah. the more informed you are of a company's practices, yeah. how they source their materials and everything else. Mm you're going to have issues with yeah. anything that is yeah. at odds with your Absolutely. fundamental values. Yeah. As a person, you don't have to be a greenie. Yeah. You just be a person and you're far more informed. So as you, to yeah. your point, I love that point, the more informed we get, this will only continue. Exactly. This yeah. will only get... Yeah. I mean, we, we refuse to work with brands that, um, have, uh, uh, that don't st- stand by our values. And I'm uh, rightly so. Like I would, uh, you know, I, I, I have, we have people in our own company that if they, if they knew we were working with a specific brand that was doing something really negative, they would probably leave our company. And this is exactly why they're informed. So when we get, when a business comes to us and says, I would like you to, you know, pitch on our business and whether that's a, a mining company, for example, or whatever, it doesn't matter what they are. Um, uh, could be a recycling company, but they're not really recycling. It could be anything. Uh, you, you genuinely question. Are you really? Do you know? And, and, and then when you kind of go, hold on, that outstand with our values. Like, in fact, they can harm you so much as a brand. Cause if that gets out and then you get found out that you did the work for them, you, you get fired from your other clients. Cause we, we all have, you know, we all believe in doing the right thing. So it's actually very dangerous. Um, if you're, if you're a business out there and you're not, you're not doing the right thing and you're not helping and you're not participating, you're in trouble. They will, those companies will fail. They just will fail. But, but a lot of these companies are run by smart people. And, and if they're not, they'll get rid of that person and hire a smart person and they will force the change because they will be advised. The board will be advised. If we do not do this, we will lose our clients. We will lose business. We will shut down. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I know you're a bit of a tinkerer. You're a builder, yeah. um, and uh, you've, you've got a few side hustles like the composting yeah. um, situation. You've got Chickens, got chickens, chickens, got chooks, and other cashew bins, and <laughs> you know compost bins. Oh, I'm, I'd farms. love to spend. We can spend a whole hour talking yeah, about yeah. compost it's my, bins. It's my wife, really, but <laughs> I, I, I try to take ownership. For it. What are the side hustles? Do you have, mate? Do you have anything else on the boil? You're not building a car. Or side anything? hustles. I um, I love cycling. I'm a big yeah. cyclist now. I must say, Mike. He was always a very attractive man, oh, but he has lost about a third of his body weight <laughs> because he cycles like a maniac. He just told me over lunch that he does about five hundred kilometers a week or oh, something no, not five. 400 on a, on a on a big <laughs> week 400 Jeez. 400 a week i i love um i do love cycling and you know a lot of people have their thing that they do and um 
you know, cycling for me, I live in a beautiful part of Sydney up on the Upper North Shore, um, St Ives and surrounded by, you know, National Park and beautiful roads, uh, you know, over in um, Bobbin Head and uh, on the other side, uh, West Head and Acuna Bay. And so I'm kind of living in a place that is really inspirational. But my side hustle for a while now um beyond the as you've known me renovating homes and tinkering and building motorbikes and all that sort of stuff is cycling like i really i really love it it's become a, a real passion of mine it um, seems this is sorry to cut you off mate i, no, no. I do apologize but um it seems really obvious to me that you've gone through some kind of spiritual awakening i know it sounds really fluffy yeah but just i'd know i've known you for a very long time for a lot of my adult life yeah yeah and you're just a different person you know you just so something what what's happened what have you done have you gone to a guru or something oh look i i think years ago i just like this business can be pretty tough on you right um you know lots of businesses tough on you uh, the work hours, the, the stress, like anything. And you kind of go, well, why is it like that? It shouldn't have to be like that. And I find the problem is when you work really hard and you love what you do and you spend a lot of time doing it, you start to forget about yourself. And I think for me, you know, about seven, seven odd, eight years ago, you know, I, I, I mentioned something lightly to you, you know, I met a naturopath and, you know, Daniela, she really helped me kind of get in touch with myself and, you know, my body and my mind and, um, kind of really helped me respect that, put that as first, as number one. Um, that forced me to really focus on my, my health and well-being for, for not only for myself, but for my family, for being there, but, you know, the impact that it had for me within the work environment, because it, it, it forced a, a much more positive, um, much more positive person. And then I gradually got more and more, cause I used to run a lot. And running, there was just quite a lot of impact and, and on my body and that was kind of hurting. So then I started cycling and road cycling and, uh, I found, find it very meditative. Like, see, the difference is when you say road cycling, you're thinking, oh no, like Parramatta Road, you know, really busy road heading into the city. No, I live in one of the, the probably the best, um, place in Sydney to for live cycling, for cycling because yeah, there's yeah. no one on the road. I wouldn't cycle in Sydney, especially no. not in the inner city. No, yeah. but then it's meditative. So for me, when I get on my bike and I go do like a hundred Ks or 50 Ks in the morning or whatever, right? Before work, uh, it, it, it's, it's just a, a moment of Zen where you, once you get into your rhythm and you start cycling and you're on a road in the middle of a national park, and you're doing, you know, like a few laps of this road. I'm actually doing all of my thinking and I don't mm. even know I'm doing it. What time do you get up? Are you like, like 5 a.m.? 5 a.m. Yeah. I get up at 5 a.m. I'm on the road by 5.30 and then I'll go out for a few hours, maximum sort of two, three hours during the week. I wouldn't go more than three because then I'll be really late for work uh, and I won't see my kids. But, yeah, I, I find that I need to do it at least three three times during the week and then on the weekend I'll do a really big ride. But the health benefits – I've never been healthier in my life, um, which is proving great for everything, you know, mental health. Uh, you know, I don't suffer from any mental health. And I think a lot of, I, to be honest with you, I think I'd be struggling in general. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I don't know if I'd be as happy, as yeah. positive. Well, as you have mentioned that, and I'm not going to go into it, but mm. unless you're willing to do that. But, you know, you, it has, you, it, like all of us, we've all had various yeah. stages of, um, 
issues with mental health throughout our lives oh, and absolutely. it's all been all proven that exercise and yeah. fitness and yeah. diet and all those things can contribute everything i mean like you look at yeah. you know i think we talk we talk about alcohol and um you know alcohol is great because it's fun right it makes you feel good but you know in moderation in moderation pretty much everything is acceptable but when you're working really late really long hours and you're stressed the last thing you should be doing is drinking. Mm. Well, this is not the yeah. case when you've got the bar fridge. And yeah, so yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Remember got, those days you, when you got Heineken as a client. Heineken as um, a client, yeah. But, but you know, my point is, is that it's it's all fun, and we should always have a little bit of steam and relax because life. When you when you don't do, I mean, you don't do anything. You you just kind of you feel a bit bland. Um, but there's a point of like I think as you get a little bit older, um, where alcohol uh, can just take a take a different toll on your body, and I think mental mentally from a depression point of view, I think for males in particular, I don't think we realise uh, d- depression isn't something I think you can identify yourself, um, and especially most of us go through a midlife crisis, you know, or we get to a point in our in our forties where we think. Have we achieved, you know, because it's that tipping point in life where you go, I've hit halfway or, you know, hopefully halfway because um, 80 would be amazing to hit. But, um, yeah, you, you kind of get to a point where you think, I, have, have I achieved, uh, you know, where I've wanted to be in life from a family point of view, from a career point of view and just a life point of view? And and if you, you kind of haven't um, and you're drinking lots, it'll send you down a yeah. rabbit hole. Right, because you're you get home and you're like, oh, and then you have a glass of wine or you have a beer and you go, actually, I feel better now, yeah. and you do, you feel great because you're like, wow, that's cool. But then you wake up, yeah. and if you're like me, um, I don't feel good when I wake up after something like if I have three beers of an evening. I, I feel really dusty the next day, but it's just a little cloud that I get, you know, it's a little bit of a cloud that I don't know. I'm sure most people, you know, would get it, but that cloud you might think is, um, the beer, but it's not, you know, that cloud I think is what that is the beginnings of depression and, you know, um, being in a, in a state where you start to go, oh, and then suddenly where you were yesterday, you would have been in a really good mood. You wake up and think, um, I don't feel so good today. Um, and you kind of wonder why, because mm. I was good yesterday. So you've, you've, you've um, I guess, revised all these things. I, you've, I you've think, tweaked. You've helped. Exactly. You've, you've, it's changed You're not, you're not a teetotaler completely. Yeah. Oh, no, but no, you're no, just, I'm not drinking. Yeah. You know, like I, I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> no, but, but you've, you've, you've controlled the, yeah, the but I influence. That, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think we, again, this is about an ongoing, it's a, it's a pattern. Yeah, that's why I use the word tweak. It's not yeah. like something where people, I think a lot of the time people are told that they've got to just stop no. whatever they're doing and just give it up. Whereas no, my, you tweak the yeah. button, turn it down a little bit. You my know? naturopath would say yeah. to me, uh, would actually also advise me on the types of alcohol to drink, right? So in other words, would say drink a clean spirit, right, and not uh, so a white, a clear spirit because it's actually better for your liver to break down. So therefore, if you drink a beer or a wine, you know, coloreds or a, or a, or a, whi- a whiskey, it's harder for your liver to break down. I know it doesn't make kind of it, it makes sense. It's actually makes sense, but it's hard to understand because you go, "What's color got to do with it?" Well, it's what's in it, 
Um, and and then you kind of go, what's that mean? Well, your liver uh, is your liver is your point, your, your filter, right? And if that that liver isn't actually functioning correctly because you're pounding it with booze, that's going to cause toxins to run throughout your entire body, and those toxins are going to create that cloud, yeah, right. Yeah, that yeah. cloud is going to connect the to the brain, to this, to that, and yeah. everything else, right? And I'm yeah. sure there's there's someone that can explain it in in much better. But alcohol explained this something I um. I listen to, uh, if you ever want a really good podcast, uh, uh, or an audio book. Besides this one. Yeah, besides this one. Sorry, <laughs> an audio book and you want to understand yeah. alcohol. That, that taught me a lot. But it, it, the truth is that, um, you, when your body and when your body's fit and healthy, um, your mind is. You're doing better work, aren't you? Really? And you are better. At everything you yeah. do. How much of that is counterintuitive for the advertising industry, which for a long time has been known as the industry where you work hard, you play hard, mm. you drink hard, and you work until you know all hours of the morning. Yeah. I mean, would it, and I'm talking to the chief creative officer of Saatchi in Saatchi, Australia, would it be better if we took all the beers out of the <laughs> beer fridge, <laughs> sorry, younger yeah. uh, creatives. Uh, peers, younger creatives, yeah. and replace them with mineral waters or, or you know juices and so on? I mean, like, honestly, would, yeah, it, yeah. would it be better if we had done? I, if we I, I actually think the culture's changed. I don't yeah. think you need to take them out. No, you no. Know? it's not the, the same. Cult, the culture's it? changed because we we now Far more don't, informed. Yeah, go back to we don't yeah. we don't um, you know we don't now sit there at ten thirty eleven o'clock in the morning, which I, I never did anyway. But there were people that I do know that used to do it where they'd start drinking and and they thought maybe that alcohol would actually help them come up with better ideas but you know life has changed like less and less people are drinking and i can tell you that through working on alcohol brands where you've got people now drinking heineken 0.0 cells ridiculously well mm. like you can't even buy it does it taste good i've never yeah it's great we have one downstairs <laughs> um it tastes fantastic but i do think our culture has changed within the advertising mm. uh comms um industry i think we're we're a lot more uh cautious and and aware i think we're, we're aware self-awareness about yeah, yeah. the impacts of alcohol i mean god if we it's weird that we're making all these ads out there about alcohol and drugs and smoking and to not kind of you know, embrace it ourselves is, is sort of a bit, bit hypocritical, right? But, um, you, you just know, you, you look around and you look at incredible people around the world and, and smart, super smart people, super intelligent people. They care about themselves. They care yeah. about their, their mind, yeah. their body, their soul. They, it's conducive to, you know, being alert, being aware is going to deliver better. Yeah. And you're well, a better person. Yeah. We were. And that's a great point. We were talking about, um, it's no coincidence that a lot of these people performing at the highest levels of the corporate world, um, whether they be CEOs or otherwise, always seem to go through some period where if they are to succeed or continue to be in these positions, mm. they've got to tweak. It's got to be this holistic, tweak, whole, yeah. mm. um, all-inclusive thing where it's your health, it's your mental health, it's your physical health, it's mm. the way you eat, it's the whole... Everything, yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think totally. that's what separates. It's sort of almost like it's not... Business isn't separate to your life. It's this all-inclusive... It's part of it. If, if you want to operate at your optimum... Optimum, yeah. Right? Yeah. Your optimum, you know, it, it, you just have to like. I mean, I, I don't want to kind of use cars as analogies, but but look at a Formula One car and a yeah. Formula One team. You know, it's all about make the car go faster. Um, is this whole kind of strategy behind it, right? But at every point, every element of that team has to be precise. 
to to get that perfection. Now you can watch those shows where it's all about money and politics and all that. And I get that, but but that that plays a role. But in terms of like your your performance as an individual, you know, like again, a, a Formula One driver, you know, you look at them and you look at how how fit they are, like, and you go, well, why do they need to be fit? They just sit in a car. But look at the G's they're being thrown around in. Look at their reaction speed. Like they, that is every little thing counts. So I'm sure when they win a race, they spray that champagne. They go and drink a bottle of it later. So it's fine. But it's being super healthy, being, you know, what you put inside your body on in majority should be there to help make you at your best and your optimum so you can perform at your optimum. And I think that's what you learn along the way in the business. You know, you, you get through it. As a younger creative, you can get away with it a little bit more. But then when your responsibilities get bigger and bigger yeah, and bigger, yeah, and, no- and I mean life experience, life responsibilities, you, you suddenly have a family. You have children to manage and look after and help inspire and grow. And then you got to come to your business and you got to, and that's tough, right? So if you're, and if you're like feeling, a bit down and sluggish and you're eating crap every day and knocking back a few beers every night, smoking a few ciggies here and there, it's only going to make you worse, right? Whereas when you go the other way and you sort of flip that balance and go, I'm going to start exercising because I'm going to wake my mind up, I'm going to get my blood pressure down, you know, I'm going to create some more, get some more purity in me. I think you just go, it's got to make me better. And uh, there's a reason we do it. Because I think it does work, you know, like it gives you energy, it gives you optimism, it it, it's a, it really does help. See, this whole outlook, I, you know, like I said, I've known you for a long time, mm. it's just a very, it's a marked uh, change for you. Yeah. Not that you say you were a slug before or yeah, a, yeah. a slob or anything like that, but it's a, you can just see it. You can feel the, the person's energy. Yeah. I know, know it's, it's really, sh- it's really shift and it's very infectious. So yeah. Like I'm inspired to... You know, pull, for a ride. I know, man. <laughs> Get a bike. Have a, and, yeah, <laughs> have a um, beer. Do both at the same time. Um, and that's really great advice for people. I think what we're saying here is um, the culture, uh, the advertising culture and the perceptions that it was an unhealthy one where the work came first at all costs, I think has shifted more towards this holistic, more yeah. um, mindful, mm. healthy mm. Um, Living really does yeah. facilitate better work. You totally. know, well, look, look after yourself and look after your mind, and you know it's only got to be better, right? Yeah. Right. Would you say that was a bite of wisdom you could give uh, those getting into the industry if you had to distill your philosophy, all your life experience down to this one little bite of wisdom? What would it be? And you can't use Sachi and Sachi as anything. No. Is, yeah. I don't know. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> Far out. God. Um, oh, look, I, I think you know. I think the the I sent a note this morning to the gang and um, the one thing when it comes to the business that we're in, I think we often forget just how amazing it is. Like whilst it's tough and, um, you know, it's complicated with the changes that happen within the, A, the world, the economy, the business, it's a really fun industry. Like, you know, you get to make amazing work and that word fun, I think, is something that we need to really think about and, and if anything – either bring back for those that are losing it or hold on to because the the reason why you come into this business is because you get to make amazing stuff you know amazing work amazing entertainment it makes people cry it makes people laugh it moves people like the word move like the fact that you can make something that makes someone across the other side of the planet 
feel something mm. is pretty powerful. Oh, for sure. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that, that for me comes from facilitating an environment that's fun and it's engaging and it's playful. Like if we can't be crazy and come up with some magic, you know, like look at these words, crazy, yeah, magic, yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Like it's creativity. It's, it's a business where our clients are coming to us and saying, hey, we want you to create some comms that's really entertaining and makes our brand look cool and, you know, makes it makes us makes them, makes them want to participate with us in whatever way. I think it's, it, it, I would encourage, you know, a lot of the time we see things go, I'm never going to let my children, you know, get in advertising. And I kind of go, well, that's not true. Cause I often think my daughter is incredible and I will watch her read and read scripts and do drawings. And I think maybe I should encourage her into it because it's a great business. It's, it's a tough business, but it's also a great business. And, you know, I mean, like, it's hard to put any wisdom down. I don't think I'm ready for wisdom yet. But, uh, I, I would just say, yeah, like, you know, for anyone young out there that's really looking to get into an industry, that, that is still very much fun. You know, advertising can, can do it because what you get to create, you know, it's quite rewarding. Yeah. How would you distill that into a, a, a sentence or a, one headline? Jeez. <laughs> See, that's just tough. <laughs> Do it for me. Do it for me. Come on, mate. Hey, if I was to work anywhere, yeah, I did yeah. say this to you. I'd come, so if I gave you a I'd, job, you could write it for me. Uh, yeah, give me a job and I'll write it for you. Uh, I no, I am happy at Macquarie University. But if I was to ever go back to an agency, I probably would work with you again because I've yeah. worked with you. We've followed each other around. Yeah. And uh, you're a dear friend, and I thank you so much for doing this um, podcast. Oh, I haven't found many of your podcasts out there, to be pretty honest. I um was looking for new questions to ask you but there's n- me yeah there are you haven't done many of these no no I, I a lot of the things that i've done are probably more stand-up kind of yeah, you yeah. Know, stand-up meetings Talks uh, and presentations, so presentations and yeah. things like that and i don't know you, you you're also kind of you just never know which ones to do i mean i do it yeah. with you because i know you yeah, and you're yeah. a friend and you know i respect you um and and you know the the, the B sides got an incredibly you know great reputation, um, but I'd, I'd probably do more of them. As well, I, you are private. You're not a out there sort of guy. You're not the traditional uh, chief creative officer, and you know you are quite private. And I know you protect your private life um, quite strongly, which is admirable. I think you know, yeah. you, you know you got to keep some of yourself to yourself and your family, right? Well, yeah. You know, I mean, look, the big thing for me is to, as as I was saying, I think maybe earlier today was. Um, like I'm, I'm all on when I'm at work, but I'm all, all off when I'm at home, uh, as much as possible, right? I still get intervened, but I try, I think the, the biggest thing is trying to switch off. Do you know, like I, there's this, um, I remember there was this famous line written one once for, for, uh, I think it was a telco brand during a blackout in New York. And it was something along the lines of, um, every now and then you need to switch off to switch on. And I never forgot it as a line because you actually realize that, you know, by always being on, you, you just, you just can't get there. And then the moment you turn yourself off in that world, you actually switching on. And that's where the brilliance and, and the ideas can start coming. It's, it's kind of like. That's a good bite of wisdom, actually. There you go. Um, someone said to me the other day, there's this, and I'd love to speak to someone in, I'm fascinated by sleeping patterns, but apparently there's this point in remedial sleep where you can actually control yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like mm. when you sometimes wake, you know, when you're sometimes you're having a dream and you mm. kind of feel like you're, you're there yeah, and you're, yeah. you, you can control, you go, well, should I go through that door or, mm. you know, not, if, and then you wake up, but you're like, wow, and that's it. And it's apparently you can, 
maybe even control it. That's amazing. And it's a, it's an incredible place to be. I can wake myself up in a dream. Like if I'm having yeah. a bad dream, I can just wake myself up. Yeah. Or I could control cupboards. So wow. for, if I'm in a kitchen and I will just, that, I'm having a dream about something completely different, I go, hmm, I just want to open a few cupboards and I just do it with my mind yeah. and the cupboards open. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it is, James, that's a, that's a really big one for me. Like I think the, switch the, off, switch, switch the, switching, the switching, if I can borrow that, that line, um, you know, is, is switch off to switch on uh, in this business. And I think in anything is uh, get yourself – don't don't just keep going on about it, you know, um, and trying to think and think and think. It's when you actually switch off, which is why the cycling's helpful for me. Or it might be, you know, you might go for a walk, you know, but not think about think about the walk. Think about where you're walking and what you're surrounded by and the water and the parks and the trees and the people rather than going for a walk and thinking, how do I solve that brief and that problem? Because that's not going to help you because you will subconsciously – solve it it's it's kind of when you turn off is when uh, the 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 good rises to the top and i think that's a critical part in the world that we live in where we're constantly bombarded by everything everywhere you know we talked about phones and social media and all that earlier you're like always on you can't turn off like people are suffering massively from sleep deprivation anxiety issues because the phone is like just keeping you active all the time it's like leave it at home for a minute like give it give it a break like that's all it need that's all you need that's great advice mike spakovsky aka spurko it has been an absolute pleasure mate i I love your work as always ben and it's so good to see you again it really is uh, we had a lovely lunch down at uh, blue dragon yeah blue eyed dragon blue eyed dragon we'll have to do that that again mate it brings me to tears almost seeing you again mate because you look fantastic you're a fantastic guy thank you mate. i've had such a really good time chatting to you i I think we could go on for another hour we could could. thanks man really and i'll pop in and see you more often i think please do i don't need an excuse to come back to this mate, building anytime, that's you're welcome anytime. i'll get your pass downstairs mate you can, sounds you good just come in anytime no, thanks for having me mate i really appreciate no, it and it's it's great to see you after all these yeah years. likewise let's stay in touch awesome thank you that was great brilliant well done mate that was great that was great if you'd like to find out more about me or the b-side podcast please visit jamesbside.com that's one word jamesbside.com and you can follow me on instagram at b-side podcast if you have any suggestions or feedback on the show please email me at hello at jamesbside.com and don't forget to rate review and subscribe the b-side with james barrow is produced by me and i really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential thanks for listening and until next episode cheers